On today's episode of Teachers as Leaders, we're going to focus on a 2015 Gallup poll that said 31% of teachers are engaged with the purpose of teaching. Engaged teachers, by definition, know the scope of their jobs and are constantly looking for better ways to do their jobs. What it also said in that poll was that 85% of those teachers were inspired by a leader that made them enthusiastic. Are you an engaged teacher? Do you have a leader in your school that inspires you to be engaged? We're going to look at how we can inspire our leaders to inspire us and how leaders can inspire those in their care. I'll be co-hosting this episode with a leader who inspires me, Brian Robinson, Associate Principal at Cumberland Valley High School in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. We'll also talk to Eric Shigela, the founding principal of the Vista Innovation Design Academy in San Diego, California. We're going to look at how we can inspire leaders to inspire their staff to take chances, to take risks, to create the utopian school that in turn helps kids. This also helps teachers come to school every day and be inspired and enjoy their jobs even more. So enjoy this episode of Teachers as Leaders as we talk to Eric Shigela and Brian Robinson. Welcome to the Teachers as Leaders podcast, where we'll explore how teachers take on leadership roles in schools. I'm Todd Bedard, and throughout this season, we'll interview teacher leaders, discuss building culture, and promoting student learning in schools. Hope you enjoy the episode. So here we are on Teachers as Leaders podcast. This kind of came about when I was looking on Twitter to find some people to talk to, and I found Eric Shigela, uh, who you'll hear from later in this podcast. He had posted a infograph from Gallup. Um, it said that 31% of teachers are engaged with their jobs on a regular basis. I'm with Brian Robinson, my co-host. And Brian, what were your thoughts like, when you saw that? Because I know when I saw it, it was kind of kind of a situation where I was a little bit upset and disturbed and bummed out that, you know, 31% of our teachers are engaged in their jobs because, I mean, children are a great resource of the future. And what does that pose for the future? What were your thoughts on that? Todd, I mean, when you think about it, it means that two out of every three teacher is not engaged. Um, Our children are our greatest resource, but what research shows is that the number one factor in the success of a child's education is that highly trained, highly motivated professional who's standing amongst them in the classroom. So when two out of three of them are feeling disengaged, uh, I, I think that's a real problem that teachers and, uh, and administrators need, need to consider. Um, I also find myself getting defensive because I think about our own building and our own school district, and I think there's no way that statistic is true for us. But again, you know, we haven't tracked that, and and honestly, most teachers, I think, if you ask them, are you engaged? That you know, you, you may not get you may not get the truth. You know, I would agree with you that that we are probably beating that national average. And I've always thought the area where we at we're in Central PA, about 11 miles south of Harrisburg, and. And I've always felt that those national teacher trends tend to hit our area last. Like, for example, I've, I've heard for several years that there's a national teacher shortage. And while it was going on five or six years ago across the country, it didn't seem to be going on in our area. Now it's finally starting to trickle in a little bit and we're starting to see some of those positions that are tougher to fill. So, so maybe that hopefully, hopefully that's a sign that it will trickle in and we'll be able to do something about it. You know, I think one of the things that stuck out to me too is that 85% of those engaged teachers said that it was because of a leader that made them enthusiastic about teaching. And, and I know that you work very hard at being deliberate and, and letting people spread their wings here in our building. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's a really delicate balance uh, because as a leader, you don't wanna say, I'm a leader. 
And I think that uh, when you think that you are the leader, then all the responsibility falls on you and all the work falls on you. And really the, the work needs to be spread out. It's impossible for one person uh, to lead any group, uh, but especially in a school. So, you know, both from a practical and a theoretical standpoint, having having distributed leadership is the way to go because you are not only spreading the load, but you're also creating both leaders for the future, but also leaders for the present. Because a teacher who is engaged in the building as, as a school leader is one who's also going to be more engaged in their classroom. So you're going you're gonna to reap those rewards uh, as a teacher day to day, but then as a leader, the building is going to reap the rewards of uh, a bunch of people pulling together and, and feeling like they're all leaders, um, you know, not just, you know, everyone looking to the same person all the time. As a principal, I'm always trying to involve the informal leaders in our building. Uh, and while I'm excited to, to tap into my teacher leaders, um, I'm also, like I said, uh, cognizant of that balance because you don't want to overload the same people again and again. Uh, Todd, as a leader who is oftentimes a recipient of some of that uh, delegated authority, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I understand your thought because I do the same thing with, with working with the people that I work with, and I think that's just human nature. We gravitate to people that are like-minded, and it's a challenge as a leader, it's a challenge as a person to find that opposing viewpoint, to find that person who may not be exactly like yourself because that counterbalance is, is how you get to great things. Personally, I don't mind when you come to me or other people come to me because I like to stay involved. I like to have my toes dipped in the water and, and understand what's going on in the building. It's also a personal problem that I have called the ability to not say no tend to be a people pleaser and, and when someone asks I want to help them out if I can so but I think it's also important too to as you expand that find out what the teachers whys are you know Simon Sinek talked about finding your why and finding out what their why is because teachers not being engaged might be a national trend we say ours are but everybody's engaged differently some people are engaged in relationships some people are engaged in curriculum some people are engaged in assessment some people are engaged in committees you know finding out what their strengths are what their passions are and, and kind of open opening that door and having those conversations with people to make it doable. How do you get around to everyone and find out what makes them tick? That's the important piece. It's important to make sure teachers are engaged, especially now even more, because I think everyone's in the world is more stressed. I'm not sure why. It's, there's some theories out there and some research, and that's probably a whole nother podcast. The interview you're about to hear with Eric Shigela that was conducted by Brian Robinson and myself unfortunately had some sound issues related to the connection. I had tested the connection the night before, and that day my school district Wi-Fi was not acting right. So there are a few places in here where things have overlapped, where it sounds like we're talking over Eric. We were not, in fact, but it was because of the connection that the recording came out that way. Unfortunately, in the editing process, there was nothing I could do about that, and the material was so good that I felt like I needed to put it out anyway. I do want to apologize to all of the listeners for the poor sound quality of it. However, the message is really fantastic, and Eric is an amazing person to talk to, and I'm so thankful that he spent a little bit of time with us. So my apologies for the sound quality of it. Please enjoy the interview with Eric Shigela and Brian Robinson. Once again, um, here with Eric Shigela. He is the principal at the Vista Innovation and Design Academy in Vista, California. He got to invent that school and create it from the ground up, which we'll talk about here later in the podcast. Co-hosting with me today is Brian Robinson, one of my co-hosts from our YouTube show. He is the associate principal here at Cumberland Valley with me. Say hello, Brian. Hello. 
<laughs> so when I started this podcast, I really wanted to look at the idea of teacher leadership in school and the idea that you don't need a title to be a leader in school and you don't need a position to be a leader in school. And Brian and I have worked really hard at that. He is an inspirational leader to me and has allowed me to kind of spread my wings. And when I was doing some research on people to talk to on this podcast, Eric's name came up. I remember him from the iMOOC with George Kuros. And that is a great episode. If you want to check that out, he was on with Caleb Rashad, who is the principal at High Tech High. Uh, they look, they they do an hour with Katie Martin and it's phenomenal. So if listeners out there, I'd highly recommend you check that one out on YouTube if you get a chance. What really led me to it, Eric, is is your post on Twitter recently from Gallup. And the first thing it said, it was, it was kind of an infographic. And the first one honestly surprised me and, and disappointed me the same way, at the same time. It said, 31% of teachers are engaged in their work. While it's while it's nice that 31% are engaged in their work, I was kind of floored that 69% were disengaged. And I just wondered what your thoughts were when you first read that, if you were as, as shocked, surprised, and, and disturbed by it as I was. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. I think the best word to describe my initial feelings when I read that was heartbroken, especially mm -hmm. someone that's quote-unquote in charge of a school or overseas teachers or leads them that that many people nationally who are doing the most important work that we could be doing are in, not engaged at such high rate. So teacher engagement is lower than um, the average workforce within America for workers. And it's also lower than high school seniors, at least high school seniors, 34% are engaged. So that's, you know, 3% difference, but it's a uh, devastating when you, you think about the role and the power and the influence of teachers and then that number being so low about engagement. When we're talking about disengagement, like, is there any reason why you think teachers are disengaged as opposed, you know, that, that kind of surprised me because I, I guess I struggle with that idea of being disengaged because I'm not, I still love my job. I love coming to work every day. I mean, there's days that you don't enjoy it, but generally speaking, I do. I think a large part of it probably has to do with what we just a child left behind. I also think a lot about the importance of teachers with this central to the story and they're all that matters. But when I think about it, if teachers are unengaged, if they don't care, if they're not inspired, if they're not passionate, if they're not running to work every single day, then the experience for the kids, I think, you know, the nicest word to say it is it'll suck. And we're in this for the kids. We all came here for the kids. And so that that's really daunting to me to think about the level of disengagement and the effects that that's having on children, especially our most vulnerable learners right. who are coming from. Well, I know, I know the second line did inspire I'm me. And, and I think maybe this is the pathway to the solution to this. Um, and that was 85% um, of those engaged were inspired by a leader in school. And, and as I mentioned at the beginning, one of my inspirations in, in, in leadership is Brian Robinson, who's with me co-hosting today. And I'll let him kind of take the next to the next question, leading us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, Eric, when we were doing a little bit of uh, research, something that came up a lot was, um, you know, uh, teacher autonomy and you know, teachers having uh, control over what's happening in their classrooms with their learners. How have you been able to uh, give up control to your teachers, or you know, has, how how have you progressed as a leader uh, in the area of, of ceding control uh, to your staff? So I think one of the things I think about is uh, Daniel Pink and Drive, where he talks about motivation is really fueled through um, autonomy and mastery and uh, purpose. And so one of the things that when we redesigned our school, because we did a lot of, we're, we're a true school story of transformation. 
So I was brought in February 2013 to a neighborhood school that was struggling. And I had the charge of reimagining a new hope for kids in the neighborhood with the, with the teachers. And so a lot of like these really cool, crazy schools out there, they started from scratch. And that's not where the majority of our kids in this nation are at. Majority of the kids in our nation are at schools that are already existing. And so how do we go about transforming that experience? And it is all centered around the teachers and their inspiration. So one of the things that we did when we were redesigning the school is I looked at teachers and we reimagined a bell schedule and developed these a certain type of classes were a design school. So these design-based classes where frankly, we looked at the teachers and said, what have you always wanted to do with kids, but you've never been allowed to. And the guardrails that we're going to use to help structure this is we want those classes to foster student creativity. We want to provide some sort of skill so that kids can actually do something in the world so they can actually go and innovate. And then because we're a design school, um, the third guardrail was that you would talk about design thinking, go figure it out. What do you want to do? What are you into? And so we have, um, a teacher that was really into sort of like science fiction and different things. And so she created a class called cryptozoology, which is the study of mythological creatures. And it's all based off of next generation science standards and mathematical practices, but it's super fun and engaging and the kids don't know because they're immersed in so much enjoyment. They don't understand or think about that. They're actually doing all that science and math. We have someone whose favorite TV show was CSI Las Vegas. And so she teaches a crime scene investigation in a forensics class. Well, she's usually a math teacher by day. So just these unique opportunities where we're pulling out the strengths, interests, and values of the teachers and seeking their talent development in order to, so that they can envision the best future versions of themselves. So then they can inspire Sorry. that with yeah, kids, um, kids as well. Shifting gears a, a little bit, um, something else that, that we came across uh, was you talking about this you know, war on buzzwords. Um, and uh, you know, one of the buzzwords that, that, that I believe in, uh, and I think almost every administrator does, is the idea of relationships. Um, now we can say that we're that we're forging relationships, but actually forging relationships is really really hard. How are you deliberately building trust as a foundation for relationships? Or can you tell us about kind of you, your process of being intentional with relationship building? Yeah, so it all comes down to culture. We have about a thousand visitors a year come through our school, and what I found, which is disheartening, and is it's really impassioned my work and what we do with our teachers, is we'll be sitting at our conference table with these visitors from all over the world, and they there's an administrator who's nicely dressed, and there's teachers who are you know they're nicely dressed in jeans and t-shirts, um, an administrator and you know their fancy coat and their nice shoes for Nordstroms. You can tell who these people are. You immediately know who the administrators are, and so we go through our story and our journey and we're laying the foundation for transformation and start spending a lot of time on culture. And oftentimes we'll be interrupted very politely by the administrator saying, yeah, we've got culture nailed. Like we really need to focus on vendors and programs and fidelity <laughs> and, you know, listing all these other things. I'm not even sure what these things mean that they're listing off all the time. Thought is 
we do happy hour. We have relationships. We do um, lunch on the lawn every Friday. We have barbecues at the football game. Like we don't need to talk about culture. The interesting thing sitting at that conference table is to then to watch the teachers and their eyes darting back and forth as if, no, please, let's talk about this. And so I think there's a lot of misunderstandings around culture, which is relationships, in that um, we've we've developed at our school what we call the four dimensions of organizational culture. And so part of that is relationships, super important. And some of it is just like straight up technical, how we operate amongst each other, so our behaviors and our patterns. But also there's that that actual adaptive part of culture where people have the relationships, they really feel the trust to be able to do things. Like on the employee engagement work from Gallup, one of the items that they ask about is, do you believe in the vision of your organization and does your work matter? And so making sure that everyone is on board with what that vision is and why we do what we do, giving them the latitude to be autonomous in it, to find and achieve mastery in what they're doing, and to really believe in that purpose is fundamentally the most important things that we do. So basically, we get all these visitors who come to our school, they want to learn about why we're so amazing. And it is just because we care about the humans as individuals, a lot of things that you probably do as well, you know, their names, you can talk about their kids, you ask them how their weekends are, but they also know that they're allowed to go and be vulnerable to risk to try things, they know what to expect, their expectations are clear. And they know what they're operating within. And a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people from what we're finding from visitors coming through is administrators will say the buzzword. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you said that. Uh, we were just in a faculty advisory meeting yesterday afternoon. And one of the teachers said, I want to do that, but I don't want to get in trouble. And I was saying there with our executive director. And I said, you know, with all due respect, who is going to get you in trouble? Because unless, you know, unless their name are Brian or Mark or Steve, then uh, no one's getting in trouble. Um, and uh, I feel like sometimes we really are battling, you know, years and years and years of kind of this institutional, I hate to say us versus them, but you know, whether it's the students feeling like it's them against teachers or teachers against administration or administration against, you know, whoever it is that we battle with, you, you, uh, you have to break down um, those barriers and a lot of them are are unseen so saw that immediately as I was listening to you um, as I'm sitting here in my suit and decent shoes um, next to Todd, who, who's dressed much more comfortably than I am so <laughs> yeah so I love Eric I love that you're yeah. talking about I know yeah, the one talk that, right on. that I watched in researching to to talk to you today um, you talked about the work of Brene Brown and, and I'm a big fan of hers as well I kind of halfway through her catalog of books as we speak it and you're speaking about vulnerability which is really really a it's tough it's tough to think about it's tough to to do and it's tough to live but but b it's so important because without vulnerability you can't have progress and innovation and and one of the things that struck me is you talked about like if you and i forget the term you said but you basically said if one of your teachers disagrees with how you ran a faculty meeting or how you acted in a faculty meeting they could call you on a saturday and and reciprocally you would have that meeting on monday and say i didn't act right in the faculty meeting and here's what i'm going to do about it how did you get to that point? Because I'd imagine, I mean, yes, it's a decision to get to that point, but it doesn't happen overnight. Like people aren't just saying, hey, you know, it's like walking in a room and going, hey, trust me. And I could, but, you know, we, we probably need to build a little bit of a foundation before that becomes a fully dealt thing. So how did you get to that point with your teachers? How long did it take? And and what are some, some stub toes along the way, if you had any? Yeah, great, great insights and questions. So we 
based on the timeline for doing what we had to do, it, those relationships were built very fast and very intentionally. And it's not something where we ever reached the finish line. So every day, the toil of my labor is to tend to the souls of every individual on campus, loving them and caring for them and having them know those things. And it touches on some of that buzzword idea too. Everybody knows that we're supposed to be some creative. Everyone knows that we're supposed to believe in, you know, failure not being a bad thing. Risk-taking is important, but yet those are tremendously difficult things to see actually come about. And so in the classroom model, I've seen all over the place that if teachers are talking about things like creativity or risk-taking and the kids don't actually see that modeled in the behavior of the teacher, then their BS filter goes way off and it is a super disingenuous effort by the teacher to try and get their kids to be creative or be risk takers. And so the same thing extrapolated up to administrators and teachers. If people don't see the person who quote unquote is in charge, and I have trouble saying that because we're a very like flat organization, but at the end of the day, there is someone who's responsible and that's me. So if they don't see me taking risks, if they don't see me modeling love, if they don't see me modeling vulnerability and opening myself up, not knowing the answers, not having the right decision every single moment, seeking guidance and clarification from others, then it doesn't live as an acting, breathing thing on our campus. And so this, the story you're recounting, Ellen Cruz called me up on a Saturday morning and said, hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know that a few of us think you're being an ass. These are the ways why and hoping we could talk about it. And so, so we had a great discussion and it is fundamentally life-changing for me to have that discussion and then to go into the next faculty meeting saying, hey, I've been told I've been an ass because of this, this, and this. As a family, like this is, this is my thoughts towards rectifying it. Can we have some discussion you know, and open? That's got to be scary in and of itself. So, like, do, do you think the faculty got together and went, okay, Ellen, you drew the short straw, you call him? Because I mean, I respect Brian immensely, but if I had to call him and say, hey, yeah, Brian, you, you're being exactly an ass, like happened. I'd be shaking in my boots and we're friends. Yeah, that comes, and that's where the relational part of culture is really beneficial when, because one of the things that I really don't want is for when people are pissed or upset or have a misconception of something for them to elevate it out in the parking lot with someone else and just ranting. So we've really tried to work on if you have a need, please let us know. Toyota has this part of their lean manufacturing model is the Anden cord where anybody on the factory floor, if they see a flaw or problem, they can halt production. It doesn't matter what their title or their role or how much money they make. They can stop everything because they see something wrong. And so we try and build that same type of camaraderie on campus where everybody is empowered with that same ability to say, this doesn't feel right. Can we talk about this? So to keeping, keeping on with, with the idea of conversations, how do you leverage that kind of trust into conversations about teaching and learning? Do you have, do you use formal uh, evaluations or, you know, do, do you guys do something different? So one of the things when we we're switching our school is on the first day, we sat down with our union rep, um, the assistant principal and I, and we said, hey, this is the tool that the district has provided in order to fire the professional growth and development of all faculty members on campus. Do you think that, that, that this is a worthwhile tool or should we talk about something else? And she looked at us, her eyes were glassy, and she said, Eric, 
this has been used as nothing but a tool of tyranny to destroy teachers on this campus before I got there. And so I said, fantastic. I didn't kind of knew that was coming. I didn't know it was going to be so strongly worded and felt. And so we made an agreement right there. I told her that I needed her help to make sure everyone believed that this is really going to happen, that everybody for the first three years of the school was going to get a perfect evaluation. No one was going to get uh, needs improvement. No one was going on a plan, nothing. And she looked at me, she said, I, I don't think you can do that. And we laughed and said, oh, we're not sure we can either, but we're going to do it. This, this is important. A tool of tyranny is not going to get us doing what we need for kids with their learning and their development. And so we even got a call from HR uh, around winter, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm glad all your teachers are doing so wonderfully. We know you're a new principal. If you need help or coaching around courageous conversations, please let us know. Oh, We're wow. here to help support you. My reply was, hey, the teachers are absolutely fantastic. You should come see the amazing things that they're doing. Thanks so much for your help. We, no one's in, we're in year six and no one's had a bad evaluation yet. And what I, what I know, so I was an administrator and an assistant principal for eight years prior to this gig. What I do know is that if someone did suck in their classroom, and if we were to use this formal system and all that people would know is the person on the plan would go and tell everybody about it and how they had tried this thing that Eric said you should do and take risks. And I did it and it didn't work. And now I'm on a plan. And like we can just see the whole thing crumbling. Mm. Does this mean that we don't have hard conversations or awkward moments or have to pull a team together? No, we do all that because we're a team, because we love each other, because we're all in this for the same exact reason we can have those discussions. Does everyone move along at the same rate of improvement? No. It's a gosh darn human organization, but we're going to love each other at the pace where everyone is and everyone is better mm. every year. I love that. And I loved your statement. I, I love how you talk about how your organization is flat and, you know, the, and the buck kind of does stop with you because you're the head guy. But, you know, in all the research that I've done, you're really, really the point I took away from working at your school is, is, you know, if I was a teacher at your school, I would probably have the same say that you would in, in most in most situations. And in my own utopian school, you know, teachers would have weekly discussions on on school issues with administration. We wouldn't have faculty advisory committees. We wouldn't have. We just talk about getting better as teachers, you know, with administrators present. Like, what about homework? What about grading? What about behavior? Are you doing things like that at your school? And and what are your teachers doing to kind of run the school and, and be in charge and create that culture at your school? Yeah. Great question. So we, we do a few things. We have, like you, like you were mentioning, like faculty advisory things. We have three different leadership, quote unquote, leadership groups that talk and really mull through things, um, help me guide um, the decision-making process, where we should go, what we shouldn't do. And what's, what's been helpful is that teachers are co-chairs of those mm -hmm. bodies. And so they've almost, aside from people getting mad at each other and the union needing to like help fix those problems um, amongst professionals, really the, these co-chairs have really put our union reps out of business because we're not violating things. Everyone feels heard. Everyone knows where to go to, how to solve the problem um, most quickly and easily. Oh, one of the other really important elements that we do is we operate in a series of philosophies. So we sat down and we agreed to a grading philosophy. It's not a anything, it's not like you have to do this and set in stone, but it's a philosophy that everyone 
understands and operates within so that, you know, we would do it for homework also. So one teacher isn't seen as the bad teacher or the mean teacher that no one wants because they grade so hard or because they give so much homework. We've all agreed on what we believe in about grading, what we believe in about homework. Everyone had voice in it. And these are the parameters we're going to operate in. So there is no pushing and pulling against teachers, one against the other um, teacher or kids or families playing and pitting people against each other. It's, it's been eliminated. And that's been huge because I've seen, especially grading and homework, rip faculties apart at schools before. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about our staff and, and how, uh, you know, philosophies would be awesome to replace procedures because, you know, procedures and protocols take the human piece out of, uh, you know, out of this very human endeavor that we're embarked on here. Um, I w w wanted to be respectful of your time, Eric, and thank you so much for already committing so much to, to us. But I, I want to end with, with, with just a little bit of an update. I was watching your 2016 mini TED talk about how you guys were so intentional on changing the way that you did interventions. You know, instead of saying, oh, you know, you guys need help with math, we're going to punish you with more math. You know, you, you embarked on that change process where you're focusing on skills and design process and creativity. Um, and I just wanted to give you a chance to brag for a couple of minutes. You know, how are things going uh, now? I, I think I heard you said this is your sixth year. Things are going fantastic. The biggest data points that we look at is in the state of California, every other year, fifth, seventh, and ninth graders do something called the California Healthy Kids Survey. And it's really the only dipstick into the social, emotional well-being and health of kids in a school that's used on a broad scale. And so we, every other year we, we take it and we get the results back and we can compare those results for our seventh graders because we're middle school. We can compare those results to the seventh grade average in our district. So kids throughout the neighborhoods in our city to the entire county of San Diego and then also to the state of California. And when you look at some of those indicators about kids feel, feeling connected to an adult at school, to um, high expectations, to all these like wonderful things, less sense of violence on campus because we're really based on empathy. Those are the indicators that we want to be successful on in middle school. That's what we really tout. We also have a lot of industry partners. So we were an original Verizon Innovative Learning School through with Digital Promise. So it was about $2 million worth of equipment and internet connectivity for our kids for our first four years. Qualcomm, which is the biggest semiconductor business in the world, built us an engineering lab on campus. And that came about not because of any other thing other than they were on campus and they liked the way that we teach engineering how we teach kids to think. And so when you talk about like those interventions, we did a big ethnographic deep dive using design thinking and really thinking about empathy first when we designed our school. And so we didn't get new kids. We had the same kids matriculate through the school, same teachers were here, same buildings. And what we found at that, when we were closing um, the prior school, it was 98% free and reduced lunch. It was almost 100% Latino. We're about 40 miles from the Mexican border, so there are a lot of migrant families. 85% didn't speak English proficiently. And what we found in that deep dive is that school was being done to kids, and they saw no relevance for their life in it. It didn't reflect them. It didn't. Their interests, their strengths, their curiosities weren't being met. And the, again, you're saying you're bad at math, so you're going to get more math. What we opened up this school saying is engagement is going to be our first intervention for all kids. 
no matter what, no matter what your, your language level, when you came to the country, everybody is going to get a really cool, fun experience that's going to build creativity, build skills, and talk about design every single day. And so that's been a huge success. Discipline numbers are fantastic. Attendance is great. Our biggest problem with attendance is families want to go on trips because they're inspired about what their kids are talking about. And they want to go see things. That's all. So things are, things are great. So it's, it's a loving one of the, I think the biggest compliment that I get is when people come, they talk about the feel, like they can't put their finger on it. They, they're not really seeing something. They just get this feel on campus, which mm. is a blessing. We had the chance to design a school. We want our own kids to go to. And almost all of us have sent our kids if they were in the right age bracket here. So this is deeply personal. And I think that's felt throughout. And I think that's something that a lot of girls are missing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Teachers as Leaders. If you have any feedback about this episode or other episodes, please drop me a line. You can email me at tbedard2 at gmail. The email address is in the show notes, or you can tweet me at TB2Boys, also in the show notes, and let me know what your thoughts are about this episode or any past episodes. If you have ideas for guests about future episodes, also email me or send me a tweet. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Teachers as Leaders.